Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Large Nerdron Collider podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider podcast, a podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Kasten, and with me, as always, is the ever-animated Jonathan Strickland. Thank you. I'm glad I haven't been erased yet. Hey, Ariel, I got a question for you. Now, Ariel, later in this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, the color spectrum. It plays a part in one of the things we're going to talk about a couple of times. So here's your scenario, or as the quizster would say, scenario. You're a wizard, Ariel, but uh, like a Tolkien wizard. Type. Okay. So what color do we associate with you? You are Ariel the... Green. Green? Yep, green's my favorite color. I had a feeling that was going to be it, because I've known you for like 20 years, and I knew that green was your favorite color. <laughs> so don't kill me. I do love Tolkien. I don't think there's a green wizard. I don't think so. I think there were two blue ones. There was, you know, Gandalf the Grey, Saruman the White. Uh, Radagast the brown. Gets the brown. And the, and then there were a couple of blue ones who went off to the east, and you never heard from, you never heard from them at all. But even even in like the notes, you never hear back from those. You don't know whatever happened to those. But yeah, I do not believe there was ever a so and so the green in Tolkien. Yes. Uh, so I would be 
Ariel the Green, the bright and cheery. Uh, <laughs> what about you? Uh, so I think I think Ariel the Green, you would have to be like related to things like like uh, like woodlands and meadows and like very nature kind of oriented. Maybe not as much uh, animal focused as Radagast was, but more like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would go with uh, Jonathan the Turquoise. Kind of seaside. That's what I'm thinking. I, I want to be. I want to be a beach wizard. <laughs> or, like, like think, think like, think like Gandalf, but he's moved to Key West and really let himself go. That's what I'm aiming for. I'm pretty sure I've seen pictures of Gandalf with. Oh no, I'm thinking of the wizard from Sword in the Stone, from Disney Sword in the Stone, with like the the sunglass like vacation uh, and the big Merlin. straw hat and yeah. 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 So yeah, that's yeah. what I imagine that you'd look like if you were uh, Jonathan the Turquoise. But, you I know, mean, younger because you're younger. I, I got goals like that's that's kind of like my retirement goal right there. <laughs> well, there we go. Another question answered. And now we get to trek into the dark, mysterious dangers of this week's geek news. Yes. And our first news story is about the African queen. I mean, the jungle cruise movie. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about the mummy, which is what this trailer made me think of over and over and over again. As I was watching, I went, this is the mummy, but on a boat. <laughs> you see, to me, it reminds, and the first trailer, this is the second trailer, I believe yes. that they've released. Yes. Um, and the first trailer made me feel this way too. Like the, front end of the trailer feels very much like the old classic movie, The African Queen with Catherine Hepburn. And then the back half felt very like Pirates of the Caribbean. I agree. Pirates of the Caribbean is the perfect one to kind of compare this to as well, because there is, there's a lot of action in this trailer that is incredibly similar to the stuff you saw in, in the Pirates movie. So Definitely a Pirates of the Caribbean kind of flavor. The reason why I say the mummy, I'm thinking about the Brendan Fraser mummy movie, right? Because you've got the skipper who's essentially the same role as what Brendan Fraser was playing in the mummy. Emily Blunt's character, who's mm -hmm. essentially Rachel Weisz's character from the mummy. And you've got a so far nameless third male character, third character who happens to be male, who might as well be the brother character from the mummy, right? Yeah. Like, like they don't, there's, there is like zero time spent on, on explaining who that person is. There's no indication that, I mean, I don't know if he came along with Emma Stone's character or if he came along with Dwayne, the rock Johnson's character. I don't know, mm -hmm. but he's there to, probably for comedy relief. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I like, Dwayne Johnson and I like him in funny action movies. So I kind of want to see it, but I don't. Now I'm going to be thinking mummy all the time. Darn you, Jonathan. Um, well, you No, you need to watch it again. Watch it again and watch some of those special effects, because I swear when you watch it, you're going to think, yeah, this is Pirates of the Caribbean meets the mummy set mm -hmm. aboard a boat. I mean, that's what this is. I mean, I guess Pirates of the yeah. Caribbean is technically set aboard boats all the time, but you get what I mean. And yeah. uh, I think you're really going to get that. It also, to me, came across as more intense and creepy than I anticipated. Like, as I was watching the little action sequences play out, and obviously we don't know how much of the film those take up or whether that's, you know, maybe that's almost all of the action sequences. We don't know. 
but some of them look pretty intense and scary, like to a point where I was like, when I think of the Jungle Cruise, I think of something that is like really appealing to little kids. I loved it mm-hmm. as a little kid. Uh, I don't uh, I'm putting myself back in that mindset. I don't know if a little as a little kid, I would be able to watch this movie and not be just totally freaked out. I mean, I definitely think this is geared towards older children or, you know, adults our age where it's something we grew up with Uh, because we talked about in an earlier episode how they're making the entire like adventure extended universe, Disney adventure extended universe, which would have Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion. All of those things innately are a little bit scary for young children. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, like even Jungle Cruise has moments in it that if you're very little, you might not understand. For example, my parents still love to tell the story about how when I was, I don't know, three years old and at Disney World that we rode the Jungle Cruise ride. And uh, and back then, you know, there's a hippopotamus that that rises up out of the water and opens its mouth. And in the old days, it was framed as an attack on the boat. And the skipper would pick up a little air rifle that would just shoot little puffs of air. But it sounded like a gun fire a couple times and the hippo would go under and um, and my parents love to tell the story that when that happened, when I was a little kid, I got very sad and said, they shot the happy potus. Oh, and, that's uh, adorable. Apparently, I made the skipper apologize. So, uh, OK, and now they don't shoot the hippopotam happy potuses mm-hmm. anymore. The happy potuses don't get uh, get filled with lead every on every ride. Well, recently, Disney announced that like a lot of its other rides, they're retrofitting it to fit a more modern age, takes out some of the references that are very outdated and problematic now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did notice that in the second trailer, uh, the first trailer had reference to some of those items in the ride. Like shrunken heads and stuff. Like shrunken heads and and the the, uh, indigenous people that whose territory they were going through that ended up be in the first trailer ended up being actors. They don't show any of that in the second trailer. Uh, a friend of ours has a friend who is one of those people. So I wonder if they're going to leave that in or if they're going to take it out to match the changes they're making to the ride. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It is interesting. I mean, I, I'm honestly in favor of Disney updating their rides to be less like, like, xenophobic and less, Mm -hmm. you know, ethnocentric on, on the white experience. Because if you, (laughs) if you went to Disney back in the day, pretty much every experience was kind of framed through the eyes of the, you know, of, of white people, which clearly whether intentionally or not left a lot of people out. And I'm very glad to see Disney actually taking steps to address that and to make it a more inclusive place. I mean, that's the spirit of, the park, right? Is that everyone Mm -hmm. belongs and everything. So it's good to see them actually making moves to do that. I know some purists get antsy when the park makes changes and sometimes the changes don't always make sense on the surface, but these Mm -hmm. kind of things I totally get behind. And I mean, I kind of do understand because you've got all of these great memories for you built up, right? So Mm -hmm. like when they replace the maelstrom with frozen, which I understand why, you know, yeah. they've got to keep it current to the kids who are going now. Like, but I was sad because I have all of these fond memories of the Maelstrom. So I get it on an emotional level. You you get that that Disneyfied version of the fairy tale, which mm-hmm. also I mean, like I know you have issues with uh, the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid one. Yes. 
which happens to be my favorite of the Disney movies, but I totally get great music. I get where you're coming from though. So, I mean like, yeah, there's some valid, there's some valid points of view. We don't mean to dismiss anyone, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm very curious to see how this movie shakes out. I don't, I don't know that I'm hooked. I like Emily Blunt. I like Dwayne, the rock Johnson. I don't know if I like the third guy because we never learned his name or (laughs) what he does, but um, I, I don't know. Like, Maybe this movie will grab me the kind of the way the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one grabbed me, but, uh, but I'm not quite feeling it yet. Yeah, me neither. It's not like Marvel where I'm like, well, I have to watch that. It's, it's okay. It's a Disney movie. It's an action. It might be fun. So, uh, speaking of things that might Might be be fun fun? or not kid friendly, uh, I'm not sure how to segue into this, but, uh, there's a movie coming out called The Lost City of D starring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, which I didn't hear about until this week, honestly. Yeah. And this one made me immediately think, and the article points this out too, but this one made me immediately think of a classic uh, romantic adventure film from the 1980s called Romancing the Stone. Like as mm-hmm. I was looking at the still, the still image of on the article, I was like, oh, is this like a modern version of Romancing the Stone, which has a romance author get pulled into this wild, crazy adventure that could have been ripped straight from the pages of her own book. And she ends up having all these experiences with this this rapscallion character. And of course, the two ultimately fall for each other. Spoiler alert Mm -hmm. for a movie that's been out for 40 years. But um, yeah. This one looks like, again, you know, Sandra Bullock's playing a romance author and uh, and and Tatum, Tanning Chatum, as I like to call him. I is, keep uh, calling him uh, Chanum Tating. <laughs> that's fair. Like, I, I'm I'm guaranteed to get names wrong every single time. But he's yeah. playing he's playing the the model who serves as the the cover model for her books. And the two of them are on a book tour together and then they get pulled into some wild, wacky shenanigans. So I will say Channing Tatum has grown in my heart outside of the Magic Mike movies. No offense to anybody who likes him. I just did not. But I think he's a really funny guy. And I think Mm -hmm. he will do great in a rom-com. And Sandra Bullock, I mean, if you look at Miss Congeniality or The Proposal or anything like that, are they great cinema? No, but they're perfectly enjoyable potato chip rom-coms. So it should be a fun waste of an afternoon. Totally plays to her strengths. Yeah. And uh, I think... I think if it if it kind of pulls up the spirit of romancing the stone, that could be a really fun movie. I mean, Sandra Bullock also obviously has a lot of comedy action in her in her wheelhouse, too. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think it could be a lot of fun. Like, but the first thing I thought was, wow, they've they've sort of rebooted romancing the stone and I'm here for it because that yeah. was a fun movie. I enjoyed it as well. Now, I will say it looks like it might be pretty steamy, uh, according to some posts that uh, Channing Tatum made on Instagram. So where, where he was ho- wearing nothing but a towel in the makeup room. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to have to warn my parents before they watch this movie. So, yeah, I guess you've been warned. Are you going to warn us about Cobra Kai season four? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saving me, throwing me a lifeline. Yes. Cobra Kai season four. Uh, I think has finished rap, uh, filming, wrapped, uh, but we just got the first trailer for it. It's like a nothing trailer, and anybody who's watched the series 
knows what's going to happen. But if you're like me and you have never seen an episode of Cobra Kai, despite the fact that we did a mashup about it once upon a time, uh, I uh, I was able to watch this trailer and figure out what had happened in season three. <laughs> yeah, so Terry Silver is coming back. We knew that. We knew Kreese called him. We know Kreese is the big bad and Johnny and Daniel have kind of teamed up. Sorry for anybody who hasn't watched it yet. But it's very obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah, so for those who for those who may not be up on their Karate Kid lore, Kreese is the guy who ran the Cobra Kai dojo back in the original Karate Kid film and uh, was Johnny's sensei. And then Terry Silver was a Vietnam War vet buddy of uh, Kreese's who in Karate Kid 3 comes in to secretly uh, act as kind of like a, almost like a, a double agent type. He brings, mm -hmm. he's training Daniel to fight in a different style that Miyagi won't teach him, uh, but it's secretly to undermine Daniel and to cause him to uh, suffer and feel pain. And now this bad guy who was like a scene, scenery chewing bad guy in Karate Kid 3 is a, uh, is back for the Cobra Kai series in some yes. form. It's really interesting to me because when I was watching through season three, one of the fan theories was that Tori Nichols, who is um, kind of like the main female antagonist, mm -hmm. um, you know, she's the bad girl. She's one of the love interests and Kreese kind of takes her under his wing. A lot of people were theorizing that she might be the daughter of Terry Silver. Um, I don't think that's been confirmed, you know, because season four hasn't come out yet. Uh, but it would be interesting. I also think it's funny because her last name is Nichols and to his go last from name Nichols is Silver. to Silver. Yeah. Yeah. That would be funny. Well, we're going to talk now about the uh, the most recent trailer for M. Night Shyamalan's Old, a film that has a very small cast, takes place largely as far as we can tell at a single location, that being a beach. And uh, the the premise appears to be that when people go to this beach, they begin to age rapidly and thus they have a very limited amount of time to figure out what's happening and how they can escape before they die of old age. Yeah, yeah it's... <sighs> I don't know. So I, I am very hit or miss on M. Night Shyamalan's movies. So is you know, he. We know there's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know there's going to be a twist. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's pretty obvious. Sometimes it's not at all. Um, but this one's, it, it's interesting to me because I was like, okay, the beginning of this movie looks, okay, it's intriguing. And then the end of the trailer looks super, super scary to me. So I don't know if I'll be able to sit through it. But one of the little girls who looks like she's maybe six or seven at the beginning of the trailer gets pregnant. So I can only imagine that the island does more to propagate people to turn them old than just simply age people. I sure hope so, because yes. the other the other implication is absolutely horrifying and yes. not in a way that I would ever want to be depicted in a movie. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Like, I'm not. I'm not the hugest fan of his work. Like there's certain movies that I do find entertaining. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. the sixth sense is still one of those movies that I think was exactly the right movie at the right time to become a spectacular hit. But yeah, mm -hmm. like, like you, a lot of his other later films 
are real hit or miss with me. Some of them are uh, more interesting to me on an intellectual level, but I don't find particularly entertaining to watch. Like Unbreakable, I think, is a really interesting movie. Yeah, but I don't I don't actually like watching it. Like I I can't. (laughs) It's a long movie and not a lot happens in it. Um, I guess I don't like watching it either because I've only watched it once, but it was interesting when I did. Yeah, no, it was a neat it was a neat take on the superhero genre. But like a lot of his movies, also, they tend to have very low replay value because they are so reliant upon twists that once you know the twist, there's there's less reason for you to watch it again, unless you're just watching to see, okay, well, let's see where all the indicators are as to what the twist is, like the stuff that I didn't notice the first time around because I wasn't aware that there was a twist. He also has a a habit of either writing himself or some version of himself into the narrative or using the narrative as a way of addressing something specific about himself, like not, Mm -hmm. not a universal experience, but something very specific to him that rubs me the wrong way as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I hadn't, I guess, noticed that or. Yeah. You got to watch lady in the water. So (laughs) I have not watched that one. No. Yeah. Um, That one, that one is the one I'm specifically talking about, but yeah. Ah, gotcha. Well, I might wait to see what the reviews say before I watch it kind of spoiler it for myself because like I said, it's, it looks very scary. I don't know if I could sit through it. I stood up in the front row. Sorry if I've told you all listeners this many times when I watched signs in the movie theater, back when it first came out, I stood up, I was in the front row of the theater cause that's all that was left. And I stood up and screamed when the alien ran across the TV screen of the kid's birthday party. Um, and everybody laughed at me. So that's my threshold for M night Shyamalan movies. Mm. Yeah, you had your own little Carrie White moment there in the theater. They're all going to laugh at you. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have that animated discussion that Ariel was kind of alluding to at the opening of our show. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. 
Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's KNIX.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's KNIX.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. <laughs> All right, as Jonathan and I flail wildly at each other to say who's going to come back in from that break, uh, I Man, guess I we, won the we are, toss. We are rusty. You throw one holiday in there and suddenly we're like, no one knows what? how to come back from a from a break. One holiday that didn't even really affect our taping schedule, <laughs> regardless. Okay, so as Jonathan said, uh, I alluded to this in the intro, but we're talking about animation styles. And this was uh, kind of inspired by the fact that um, I finished MODOK on Hulu recently, and it was very robot chicken. And the humor was, for me, like some of it was funny. Some of it was kind of boy humor that didn't land. And I don't know if that's because it's me or if it's because of the media that it was being presented in. I love stop motion animation, which is what MODOK is, but I wasn't sure if that was affecting the humor level. So I was like, we should have a conversation about animation in general. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So my general perspective on animation is that to me, the story is the most important thing. Like the Mm -hmm. story needs to be good. And then the animation just needs to support the story and that animation could be in any format. So I enjoy pretty much all types of animation, right? Like I like stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like hand-drawn animation. I like computer animation. And the thing I don't like is when people uh, equate a style of animation with quality of animation, not, not just the quality of the art, but the quality of the experience of seeing it because Mm -hmm. it makes me think of like when Pixar was first doing movies for Disney before Pixar became part of Disney, there was this general feeling that because toy story was such a huge hit that the era of hand-drawn animation should be over like Mm -hmm. computer animations where it's at. And And John Lester is a man of many, many faults. But one of the things he said that I agree with is that 
it wasn't so much like to him, it was never the thing about it being computer animation, about that being the, the distinct thing that set apart Toy Story. It was that the story had a lot of heart mm-hmm. and that the animation was just their way of telling the story. But that if the story was bad, it wouldn't matter how good the computer animation was because you would just look at it and go, well, it looks neat. But I mean, what else is there? I agree. I honestly was kind of sad when Disney moved to a lot more computer animation and Pixar style animation. I really like the 2D stuff. And even though as as Disney expands, so a lot of like Disney's earlier stuff all looks the same. If you look at like Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, they all have a similar style. Even when you get mm-hmm. into like Lion King and Aladdin and later stuff. Well, yeah, you, you have, yeah, you have certain artists whose, whose technique carries through from one movie to the next. So you look at those early ones and you're seeing a lot of animation that was rotoscoped on top of actual yeah. film, which is also why if you're ever really bored, you can go down a YouTube rabbit hole and look at the various clips of different Disney animation. That's all the exact same sequence. Like mm-hmm. there's this one dancing sequence of, you know, a young woman holding her skirt up. That's been used multiple times. It was used in snow white and uh, it was used in Robin hood. And it was all because it, they were all using the same reference film Mm-hmm. and rotoscoping the animation on top of it. So it's literally the same animated sequence just with different characters. But yeah, you, you yeah. there was a lot of there were a lot of eras where like there was also the the Don Bluth era, right? Like of Fox and the Hound and uh mm-hmm. um, Oliver and Company. There was that era as well where it was very distinctive. That also was an era that I don't I actually don't like the movies from that era. Yeah. Well, and same with like if you get to I guess Home on the Range is one where they really mm-hmm. played with their, their animation style. And it's just, I don't particularly enjoy it. Or I guess even kind of treasure planet, they go a little more stylistic or, or um, yeah. Hercules. Hercules is a great example. Didn't, where, didn't treasure planet and Atlantis both come out around the same time too. Like those were pretty I think close. So. Yeah. I, think I, so. I don't I think, think I've ever either, even seen Atlantis. I would say, I think you're either in the treasure planet or the Atlantis camp and I'm totally making this up, but based on my friends, they've either watched one or the other. I'm in the treasure planet. The treasure planet camp. Yeah. That's the one I saw. Yeah. No, I, I, I actually really liked the Hercules design, but that's because mm-hmm. I felt like they were taking some inspiration from, uh, Greek, uh, art, like only a little bit, only in the, it was very disnified version of that. So don't yeah. like, it wasn't like drawn straight yeah. from the urns or whatever. But I did like that they were doing that. Yeah, me too. Uh, But I feel like there's less of that now that so much of Disney animation and Pixar movies are. I guess Luca is is a good example of not that, but a lot of them feel very similar in the animation style again. Yeah, yeah. I would say that like Tangled and Frozen look pretty similar to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Brave. Yeah, that was a Pixar one, though. So yeah, yeah, Brave was Pixar. It was one of the Pixar movies. So like when people rank the Pixar movies, that one gets a pretty that that one usually ends up in the lower half for a lot of people, Mm. which is unfortunate because I thought that Brave was a really interesting take on a story. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, it's hard for it to match up against things that are just so joyful, like Toy Story or, um, uh, you know, so so emotionally uh, involved, like finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for me, all the Disney stuff, like, like that falls into different categories, but it's again, mostly based on the quality of the storytelling, not yeah. necessarily the art. So I can still watch 
like classic, the classic Sleeping Beauty cartoon and mm-hmm. still enjoy that just as much as if I were to watch Little Mermaid, which of course has a, a place in my heart because I was growing up and that was my favorite Disney yeah. film or uh, Tangled, which is probably my favorite of the more recent Disney films. Yeah. Um, but outside of Disney animation, there's tons of animation that I absolutely love, uh, including stuff like stop motion and beyond. So mm-hmm. same now, except for, uh, for me, the animation is, since it is a part of the storytelling, you can have an amazing story and it can be such, I don't want to say ugly animation, but it's what my brain construes as ugly animation, like very gross humor animation. So I'm thinking like Ren and Stimpy or some SpongeBob or even Invader Zim. I think Invader Zim was the first cartoon that kind of broached that ugly, more grotesque style for me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that I enjoyed. But like you, you can take a good story or good storytelling or good humor and ruin it for me by making the characters so unpleasant to look at that I don't appreciate it. I can get that. I also think that you can use quote unquote bad animation as a part of your storytelling to make jokes. Right. So like Mm -hmm. robot chicken does that a little bit because a lot of the times they're using figures that don't have full, uh, posability, but that's part of the joke. Right. Although most of the time they end up making their own puppets that are similar to, but not actually the, the toy figures. Uh, same sort of thing with like, I think of shows like Archer where mm-hmm. that animation style is pretty limited. It's not like it's not as fully animated as some other series are. Um, but it's but aesthetically are, pleasing to me. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But there are some where it's like the limited, you know, they'll do limited animation and that's part of the gimmick, right? Like that's mm-hmm. uh, I think of Space Ghost, like they were reusing animation <laughs> with Space Ghost Coast yeah. to Coast. They were using a ton of animation from old Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And that to me worked really well because it it was feeding back into the loop of this is a, a uh, let's put on a show kind of approach. And so it, it, it met the, the tone well, right? It supported mm-hmm. the tone. So uh, I think I think really like, it comes down to having that right mix of animation style and the storytelling where they complement each other and support each other. That's what makes good animation. Not necessarily that you're looking at something that required, you know, more hours of work or more experts to put it together. I mean, obviously you can Mm -hmm. get really beautiful animation that way, but it doesn't necessarily translate into a truly enjoyable experience. I get it. I mean, I will say, like, I watched the new Animaniacs, and the it it felt kind of red and stimpy to me, so I didn't enjoy it as much. I still enjoyed it, but not quite as much. I still haven't seen that. Uh, I, I actually did like the, the retro-style Disney cartoons that also had a bit of the grotesque in them, especially if Goofy's in the cartoon. He's goof- Goofy is pretty grotesque in those cartoons. See, but, I like them all but Goofy. I don't, but also I don't like them making Goofy so gross. To me, he's so heartfelt. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really enjoyed those cartoons. I don't understand that particular decision to change Goofy that way. But man, once they did it, they they really went all in. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this is interesting. You know, I 
I know we have a lot of artsy friends and I'm hoping probably also artsy listeners. So I'd really love to hear what you all think. What kind of animations do you like or not like? I know like a lot of comic book uh, animated movies also use very limited uh, animation in their Mm -hmm. storytelling to feel more like a comic book. And like, I like that. Yeah. Invincible kind of feels that way at times. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But also very, very gross at moments. No, no. Invincible. Invincible. If you want to talk about graphic violence, Invincible is got it's got that going on like the you don't have any idea of how graphic it's going to be until you get to the the end of the first episode. And then you're just like, whoa, this is different from what I thought it was going to be. But the rest of that first episode is so endearing. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like that's that's what makes that last moment really have an enormous impact. It's not just because it's over the top graphic violence. It's that it's following this story that up to that point has kind of lulled you into this sense of a different kind of story. Um, and obviously, I came at it without having read the comics. So I knew like what it was about. I had heard things about it. And I knew that there were elements of violence in it. I just had no idea of the extent of it until I watched it. Yeah, same. Uh, I, I think this has been really good. Like I said, I'm really interested to see what other people think about animation styles. It's always so interesting to hear other people's opinions on this. It was interesting to hear your opinion on this, Jonathan. Uh, so make sure to write us. We'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. And when we come back from this break, we're going to take a piece of classic animation and mash it up with a comic book property that's currently in the news. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know, Ariel, when we had our animation discussion, there was one thing that I, I should have mentioned that I really, really, really love that uh, is sort of cheesy and you don't really see it anymore, and that's stop motion animation that is uh, integrated into live action movies. So I'm thinking of like the old Harry Harryhausen Housing. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I still it. have a deep love for that, like stuff from like Clash of the Titans and that kind of thing. Me too. Uh, the, the original Clash of the Titans, not the remake. The, the original uh, Clash of the Titans, like, I mean, that's the like inception of Large Nerdron Collider. That was the very thir- first thing we did was take his Clash of the Titans and mash it up with Thor. Yeah. This time we're doing something a little different. We're not doing those. <laughs> no, no. We are taking Aladdin, quote unquote, classic animation and mixing it up with Green Lantern. Yeah. So we're specifically taking Disney's Aladdin. Obviously, the the story of Aladdin predates the Disney film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are specifically taking that as our point of inspiration. Now, the reason we picked Green Lantern is because, as you alluded to before our break, it's in the news because... We have heard about the HBO series that will uh, feature Green Lantern and and not not the Green Lantern I wrote about in my mashup. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, It's featuring Alan Scott, who is kind of like the first kind of like he was the first Green Lantern, as far as I understand, sort of the the golden age of comics. Green Lantern um, played by Jeremy Irvine, uh, who has been in various things. <laughs> well, and and so for those who don't know, uh, Alan Scott, that version of Green Lantern, as, as Ariel said, was from the golden age of comics. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Flash, the original version of the Flash was also from the golden age. And what happened was that the comic book creators, they were looking like comic books had had their heyday. They had sort of died down. And now we were going into a new era of comics, the Silver Age, which is where most of the characters we associate with comic books, like classic DC characters, most of them actually really came out of the silver age, not the golden age. Right. Mm -hmm. And they had brought back 
a character called the flash. It was not the exact same one as from the golden age. And that one had started doing really well. So they were looking at other golden age properties they had and said, who else can we do? And that's when they brought in uh, the green lantern. And this time it was Hal Jordan, not uh, Alan Scott. Alan Scott's version of green lantern is a little different. Like in the original comics, the Alan Scott green lantern, his powers didn't work on wood. Just like Dr. Who. So, Maybe we should have done a Green Lantern Doctor Who mashup instead of Green Lantern and Aladdin, but it's too late now. Also, his his motto was different. So it wasn't the in brightest day and blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight oath that everybody knows. Yeah, um, yeah. It was it didn't even rhyme the original one. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny because Jeremy Irvine in a in a tweet about being cast as Alan Scott actually quoted that version of the green lantern oath, but that was, that was a Hal Jordan era oath. But yeah, it's interesting that they're going back to the golden age one, not the silver age, which is again, the one I think most people would associate with uh, the character of green lantern. I am very curious about that. Me too. Me too. Um, I, I, I hope that HBO gives me something that is somewhat uplifting as opposed to a Game of Thrones version of Green Lantern, even though there's certainly a lot of darkness in Green Lantern. Obviously, that's what they're fighting. So, yeah. So we are now going to mash up Green Lantern with Aladdin, Disney's Aladdin. Hilarity will surely ensue. And Ariel, you know what question I'm about to ask you? Who goes first? I guess I can. Okay. All right. So this is, uh, you like my surety there. Okay. This is Al Aladdin and the Cave of Lanterns. And Jonathan said that we were doing the Disney Aladdin. I'm mostly doing the Disney Aladdin, but with a few other surprises thrown in. Okay. So Sinestro had been thrown back in time due to his latest bouts with the Green Lanterns. When he finally landed in a place in time, he found himself in a vast desert without his ring. And without that ring, he could not raise himself up to power in this strange land by force in an effort to return back and defeat Hal Jordan. However, he was not completely lost. You see, he was once an anthropologist, true, and his once friend, Abin Sur, uh, another Green Lantern, had studied Earth history as a part of his stint as a Green Lantern and had many discussions about it with Sinestro before his death. I guess Abin Sur found it interesting like Doctor Who did, find Earth interesting. So Sinestro knew all was not lost. He would have to integrate himself into the graces of the local leaders and work his way up the chain until he could gain enough power in the region, planet, etc. to rule, or until he found his ring to do the work for him. He searched for days in the desert before finding the city of Agrabah. Once there, he endeared himself to the local sultan as a trusted advisor, using his knowledge of cultures, technology, and the future to wow him, all the while searching for his ring. Soon, however, the drudgery of being the Sultan's advisor took so much time that he found himself not being able to sneak away to locate the ring. So he found a youth named Al Ladin to help him. The kid was desperate and no one would miss him once the ring was found. So Sinestra sent Al Ladin to the next place on his search list, a fabled cave known as the Cave of Wonders, with the instructions to find the ring and bring it to him. Also, do not put the ring on or touch anything. Once Aladdin was in the Cave of Wonders, he found the ring, but upon picking it up, the force was too powerful and it threw him back into an old oil lantern. The cave collapsed around Aladdin, leaving Sinestro to think he was dead. Then a magical thing happened. A blue being popped out of the oil lantern that Aladdin had bumped into. 
He introduced himself as Gameth the Blue Lantern and proposed a deal to Al-Ladin. He would use his great cosmic powers to give Al-Ladin the life he desired and a calm heart if Al-Ladin would help him defeat Sinestro. Gameth had been lying in wait in the lamp and thought Sinestro would come down into the cave, get greedy, grab the lamp and powie, but obviously no dice. Aladdin gave the ring Sinestro had wanted to Gameth for safekeeping, and they escaped the cave. Aladdin and Gameth put a plan into motion to stop Sinestro. However, during that time, Aladdin fell in love with the Sultan's daughter, and Gameth, being tied so closely to emotion as a blue lantern, felt compelled to help him. While Gameth was helping Aladdin get the girl, he let his guard down and Sinestro got his ring back. Sinestro became all-powerful and Gameth couldn't defeat him. Gameth threw Aladdin a ring and said, here, put this on. And all of a sudden, Aladdin became a Green Lantern. Just then, Jasmine, the Sultan's daughter, pulled out her ring and also became a Green Lantern. And together, Al, Gameth, and Jasmine defeated Sinestro. And Gameth was free to return to his own time and place, guarding the galaxy, the universe, whatnot. But before Gameth did, he tasked Al to help the rest of the Lantern Corps protect against the Darkest 101 Nights. He teamed up with Scheherazade, Alibaba, and Sinbad, and the rest is history. I like it. Thank you. It is very different from mine, which I also like. I am excited for yours. Okay, there's singing in it. All right. This one is called, But What If the Genie Were Green? Hal Jordan has a problem. He's gone from test pilot to mechanic after his insubordinate behavior got him grounded by the military. He's stuck with his feet on the ground, head in the sky. It's okay. I know nothing's wrong. Wait, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's, this must be the place, a.k.a. Naive Melody by the Talking Heads. Anyway, (laughs) Hal has found himself in a job he doesn't really like, working for a company that he has mixed feelings about. He has a crush on the CEO of the company, Carol Ferris, but she's the daughter of the man whom Hal feels caused his own father's death. This is all actual backstory for Hal Jordan in DC (laughs) Comics. He's not where he belongs, is what I'm getting at. And he could be so much greater. Now, working for the aerospace company Ferris Aircraft, Hal gets an assignment to go out and work on some planes in the Middle East. And while on his way to a secret remote location, so secret he's not actually allowed to fly into the airbase, he gets lost in a sudden sandstorm along a desert road. And fearing for his safety, he stops driving and hunkers down until he can actually see. And when he finally can, he sees something amazing. Ahead of him is a strange hill. Looks a bit like a tiger's head with the mouth opening into a cave. Drawn to this, Hal gets out of his sand-covered vehicle and makes his way to that cave. And inside, Hal sees something truly phenomenal. The cave is filled with various treasures. There are jewels and ornate decorative weapons and gold. So much gold. But before he lays a hand on anything, he hears what sounds like a weak voice calling for help. Hal breaks into a run, heading as quickly as he can to find out who is in trouble. And then he sees something truly amazing. A bald man with skin that's kind of the color of fuchsia. Kind of like, you know, like a sort of purple Yule Brenner. He's wearing a weird outfit and he's holding out a ring in his palm. Take this, Hal Jordan, he says. The ring, glowing, seems to call out to Jordan. He finds himself compelled to take it from the strange man, slipping it onto his finger. And then the man says something really odd. 
Well, Sinestro had the parallax full of fear and ugly sin. But your luck levels just hit max cause of the bunch of friends you're now in. You got willpower in your corner now, defending the weak will be your thing. You'll make all the little kids say wow, all you gotta do is wear this ring and you'll say I got mad powers now, the best I've ever seen. You can fly right up to towers pal, you're joining in a core that's green. Then the alien, whose name by the way is Abin Sir, totally dies. Hal. Confused as to why a musical number launched and then promptly fizzled out, has the ring on his finger and nothing happens. So he points his finger with great willpower. Nothing. He waves his hand around. Nothing. He nudges the corpse of Abin Sir with the ring. <laughs> Nothing. Sighing, he rubs his hands together in a nervous gesture that we totally saw him do earlier in the movie, even though I forgot to mention it before now. And in the process, he rubs the ring. Suddenly, the ring glows a deep green, and the cave reverberates with a voice that says, In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, green lantern's light. And out pops a genie. A green genie. Hal, now really thrown off, says, Did I lose my marbles in that sandstorm? The genie laughs and explains that no, Hal Jordan has just found himself inducted into the Green Lantern Corps. Each member has a special ring, which houses a genie, an aspect of willpower, who acts as a liaison between what the wearer wants and how it all comes out. Just then, the cave begins to rumble, and Hal begins to run toward the entrance, but he's never going to make it. The genie says, Hey buddy, you can totes fly now. Use the ring. Hal waves his hand some more, and nothing really happens. And then, out of desperation, he says, I wish I could fly and he feels his feet leave the ground, and soon he is zipping out of the cavern in like this crazy display of agility that you just know is going to get turned into a theme park ride somewhere at some point. <laughs> anyway, he emerges from the cave, genie in tow. Now how, says the genie, there are a few provisos, a few quid pro quos that we have to go over. Sure, you got this power now, but you are also tasked with using it to protect others. Hal, looking down at his ring and at the ground, far below his feet, feels a sense of determination. This feels right. He can live up to the wishes of his dearly departed father, and he can be the hero that he had always dreamed he might be. What follows is a montage of Hal performing heroic deeds, helping people escape dangerous situations and defeating dangerous enemies. And after months of adventuring, Hal turns his eyes back home. See, there's that woman there that he loves, but hasn't figured out how he's going to talk to her. Her name's Carol Ferris, and so Hal turns to the genie of the ring, who really, really sets him up. All right, so we're back at Coast City, where Carol Ferris is getting ready to head into Ferris Aircraft, the aerospace company where she's the CEO, but she hears a ruckus outside. So she looks out, and she sees something she can't believe. It's the Eiffel Tower! Yeah, in a moment, it appears as though Carol has somehow been transported across the world. And they're singing? It's the genie. <clears throat> Carol Ferris, welcome to Paris, thanks to Hal Jordan. What a guy, watch him fly whenever he wants. He fought the Sinestro Corps till they don't want any more. And now he's at your door with croissants. And then the song ends abruptly because 
We got a budget. Carol, dazzled by Hal's genie, but more with the fact that Hal finally worked up a way to ask her out, points out that she doesn't date employees of her company, but she's going to make an exception. Oh, we also see in the background of her closet, this weird jewel is glinting at us. It kind of looks like a sapphire, but that's an obscure hint to a sequel that only people who are big Green Lantern fans are even going to understand. So we're just going to leave it here. The end. Oh, I loved that. See, my, mine always end up being origin stories where I just leave out the villains because those are always the parts in origin stories that I like the least. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like learning how the hero became the hero, but then they always have to throw in like, well, now the hero's got to face off against the villain. And that always feels like the part that doesn't work in those movies for me. So like Iron Man, Ant-Man, all those kind of things. So I was like, I'm just going to skip it. <laughs> See, I felt like in Doctor Strange, though, they gave the, the villain a decent enough backstory and walk through his motivations and they were genuine. So I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think by Dr. Strange, they had done the formula enough where they were able to address that a little bit. It still wasn't as integrated as I would have liked, but it was better, right? Like yeah. you look at Iron Man or uh, the first Captain America movie, or you look at, um, you know, Ant-Man was the same. Like a lot of those movies mm -hmm. The interesting stuff is finding out how the character became the hero. And then you have to have them have some sort of confrontation with a comparable villain, but mm -hmm. you can't spend an equal amount of time establishing the villain, right? Like that's just not really yeah. possible unless you want your movie to be like Peter Jackson length. Um, which is kind of why I wish the first Captain America movie had been split into two, because I felt like the first half of that movie is fantastic. And the second half I could, I could just stop once it gets to the point where they do the montage. I agree. Uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of Marvel villains and DC villains feel a bit rushed. Yeah. With um, the exception of like, like the vulture in Spider-Man was great, mm -hmm. right? Like oh, yeah. it's the villains that you don't expect to be really interesting that turn out to be the fascinating ones, but, or Loki yeah. obviously, but Loki's kind of an anti-hero. So yeah, he's an anti-hero. He's only sometimes villainous which I'm sure we'll see in the series, which uh, starts up very soon. So that's yes. exciting. So we are going to end this episode now so that we can get ready to pop all the popcorn for tomorrow because we're recording Truth. this on Tuesday, the 1st of June. But um, we got lots of ways you can reach out to us. Ariel was mentioning that you can write to us if you have your own thoughts about animation or if you have your own ideas about mashups we can do or a mashup of your own. And the best way to do long form communication is to send us an email. The address is lnc at iheartmedia.com. But you can also reach out to us on social media. On Twitter, we are lnc underscore podcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we're Large Nerdron Collider. Yes. And if you like the show, like it, subscribe, tell your friends, share the show on social media yourself. Uh, because the more people we have listen, the geekier we can get. Uh, which we really enjoy. It's always it's always a delight to converse with you on things that we all love. Yeah, and I I, uh, uh, I genuinely love taking beloved properties and twisting them to the point where the bleak, depressing nature of underneath comes bleeding through. Not so much this week, but man, if you listen to the one from two weeks ago, 
Holy cow. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it was sad. It was so sad. It was unexpectedly sad. And uh, also so hilarious. Yes. If you need to catch up, you should do that. Go back and listen to those episodes. Uh, but until next time, I have been Ariel Brightest Day Caston. And I have been Jonathan. Why don't this thing work on wood? Strickland. Large Nerdron Collider is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by Ariel Kasten. Jonathan Strickland is the executive producer. The show is produced, edited, and published by Tari Harrison. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.